The University of Florida College of Medicine is accredited by the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education, ACCME, to provide continuing medical education for physicians. The University of Florida College of Medicine designates this enduring material for a maximum of 0.25 AMA PRA Category 1 credit. Physicians should claim only the credit commensurate with the extent of their participation in this activity. Welcome. I'm Melanie Cole, and today we're discussing the multimodal approach for treating bladder cancer. We will recount the natural history of bladder cancer and the most common path experienced by patients. We'll explain the treatment options available to patients with muscle-invasive bladder cancer, when each are appropriate and what approaches clinical trials are attempting to bring in, and we're going to describe the experience of patients after cystectomy or bladder preservation and the cancer-free and overall survival of patients in these populations. In this panel discussion today, we have Dr. Catherine Hitchcock. She's an assistant professor in the Department of Radiation Oncology at the University of Florida. And Dr. Brian Ramnerine, he's an assistant professor of medicine in the Division of Hematology and Oncology at the University of Florida. And Dr. Paul Crispin, he's an associate professor of urologic surgical oncology at the University of Florida, and they all practice at UF Health Shands Hospital in Gainesville. Dr. Ramnerine, I'd like to start with you. Please tell us about the natural history of bladder cancer. What's the disease incidence and burden? So thanks for the question, Melanie. Uh, bladder cancer is actually one of the uh, more common cancers of the genital urinary tract. Um, it's commonly seen in older men um, with a history of smoking, but it can happen really in anyone uh, of any age. Usually these patients present with um, blood in the urine, and it's usually uh, a painless um, uh, hematuria, as we call it. Uh, and when patients present with these symptoms, um, it can be um, really multiple causes, including um, having a kidney stone or even having a urinary tract infection. But usually at this time, they would come and present to their primary care doctor or urologist who would do further testing, including maybe a CAT scan or cystoscopy, which Dr. Crispin, uh, I'm sure, will go into a little more detail. Um, and uh, at that time, we may see a tumor in the bladder, which um, we may biopsy and which should return back as positive for cancer. And then from there, of course, further workup. Dr. Hitchcock, most people consider bladder cancer to be treated only by urologists, but today I'm joined by the three of you, different areas of providers. How important is this multidisciplinary care model for this type of cancer and specifically for patients with muscle-invasive disease. How does the emphasis on a multidisciplinary approach change the patient's treatment options and therapy received? I'm so glad you asked about that. Uh, that is something that's changing pretty rapidly, and even during my career, uh, looks completely different than it did at the beginning. Um, as late as the 1990s, my specialty, radiation oncology, didn't come into bladder cancer treatment very much. Uh, except in very advanced stages where it was used for palliation. These days, there's a much greater emphasis on the trimodal approach to, re to bladder cancer. And it, for many patients, we're able to spare their bladder, keep it as a functioning organ. And the way to do that is by treating it with radiation therapy as well as chemotherapy in patients who, in an earlier area, would have had their bladder surgically removed. Well, Dr. Hitchcock, sticking with you, tell us about your role in bladder cancer care. As you are a radiation oncologist, 
Tell us what you're doing specifically. So for patients who are appropriate to keep their bladders, who have uh, muscle-invasive bladder cancer, um, I work closely with a doctor like Dr. Ramnarine in medical oncology to give concurrent chemotherapy and radiotherapy to the bladder and to the lymph nodes of the pelvis. Dr. Crispin, let's talk about clinical presentation and diagnostic criteria as well. What are some valuable prognostic tools to aid in early diagnosis? Tell us how important is accurate diagnosis, staging, and grading. It's extremely important, and uh, that's that's an excellent point to bring up. Without accurate staging and grading of these patients, we will not be able to offer them the appropriate therapy or even all of the therapies offered within the appropriate stage after it's identified. Um, As you also commented on the diagnosis, one important point that Dr. Ramnarine brought up is when patients are evaluated for, say, blood in the urine or hematuria, unfortunately, we'll see a lot of women presenting with more advanced stage because their hematuria is credited to a urinary tract infection as opposed to having a cystoscopy done to make the diagnosis of bladder cancer. Once we have a patient where we highly suspect bladder cancer, we perform a cystoscopy, look in the bladder, and if we see a tumor, we will then remove it with the scope. That scope procedure gives us very valuable information about a patient's stage, but also their candidacy for treatment, uh, more importantly, as with this discussion, the potential treatment with radiation therapy and chemotherapy, as Dr. Hitchcock and Dr. Ramnarine are discussing. Uh, One important part about this resection is it needs to be complete. We want to remove all visible tumor within the bladder. We know that that will increase the chance of a patient having a successful radiation and chemotherapy treatment. In fact, that's so critical that once we identify these patients with with Dr. Ramnarine and Dr. Hitchcock at UF HealthShans Hospital, we always take these patients back for a repeat resection and resect more tissue to do everything we can to make sure the bladder is as clean as possible for the radiation therapy. In addition to that, we'll often put markers in the bladder to help Dr. Hitchcock focus additional radiation to the spot where we remove the tumor. And so this initial diagnostic step gives us valuable information for patient treatment selection And as you alluded to, even prognosis, as we know that there's patients that will find specific pathologic features on their tumor that won't make them good candidates for trimodal therapy. Well, along those lines then, as he's talking about candidates for trimodal therapy, Dr. Ramnarine, how does careful patient selection and extensive counseling, how are they paramount to successful intervention? Tell us a little bit about patient selection criteria. Uh, so that's a really great question, Melanie. Um, the most important thing is that whenever we have one of these new patients, we always have a multidisciplinary uh, discussion with um, our, the coll- our colleagues in all these fields, um, Dr. Hitchcock in radiation oncology and Dr. Crispin in urology to determine whether or not a patient is a good candidate for uh, bladder preservation or whether or not they have to um, undergo a cystectomy and have the bladder removed. Um, there are a lot of factors um, that um, 
might uh, influence one decision over the other, and that would include the size of the tumor, the location of the tumor, if there's any ob obstruction um, and hydronephrosis, which is a swelling of the kidney related to the tumor. Um, so there's multiple uh, reasons why a patient might choose uh, and why we may choose one option over the other. And I would just like to, to add another um, uh, point here is that despite with these known um, selection features, as Dr. Ramnarang has pointed out, unfortunately, very few patients nationally are offered this type of therapy. And if we look at large data series, less than 5% of patients are being offered this bladder preservation approach with the chemotherapy and the radiation therapy. And I think one of the one of the reasons that is, is patients are not being evaluated by doctors like Dr. Ramnarang and Dr. Hitchcock up front. They're only seeing those specialists following their bladder removal surgery, which at that time it's too late. I'd also like to add that part of the selection of patients is related to their age. Many patients who are diagnosed with bladder cancer are senior citizens. They may have some other health issues going on that may not make them the best candidates uh, for one therapy versus another. And although I, before I saw it myself, I might not have predicted it, uh, radiation therapy, even at the same time as chemotherapy, is surprisingly gentle. Even fairly uh, elderly patients who maybe aren't at their best performance still get through the treatment pretty well. They don't have a lot of pain. Um, it doesn't really affect their quality of life very much. And so it can be a really good treatment that keeps them from uh, starting down a bad path health-wise. Well, then, Dr. Crispin, explain bladder preservation for non-metastatic muscle-invasive bladder cancer. And tell us a little bit about some of the current population outcomes and ongoing studies for these patients. So when we look at all choices of bladder preservation therapy, we, we have multiple modalities to choose from. You could look at a, a partial cystectomy or partial bladder removal surgery, a maximal endoscopic resection, um, chemotherapy alone, or radiation therapy alone. However, the one bladder preservation therapy um, that works the best, that has the best data, and that is our modality of choice at UF Health Shands Hospital is trimodality therapy, which includes maximal endoscopic resection by a urologist, and then combined chemotherapy and radiation therapy with doctors like Dr. Ramnarine and Dr. Hitchcock. With a, with a carefully selected patient and appropriate treatment, we see excellent outcomes here at our center, as with is also documented at other centers, which, and these outcomes approach those seen with bladder removal surgery. And that's, again, in appropriately selected patients. So when we have a combined approach, we have multiple specialists involved, we can get the same results and the same survival as we do with bladder removal surgery. And in terms of, of, of percentages, what we're looking at percentages of 60 to 80% overall in cancer-free survival at five years in these patients. That's fascinating. Dr. Ramnarine, for patients that are undergoing cystectomy, as Dr. Crispin was discussing, 
And and you're talking about preferred regimens for neoadjuvant or adjuvant chemotherapy in bladder cancer. Have there been trials demonstrating that neoadjuvant chemotherapy before removal of bladder does improve patient outcome? Is that something that's going on right now? So we've um, studied this question um, in the past, and it has been shown that neoadjuvant uh, chemotherapy uh, before cystectomy does improve outcomes and does improve overall survival. Um, so um, it is the standard of care now um, for uh, us to prescribe neoadjuvant chemotherapy before cystectomy. Uh, and with regards to neoadjuvant chemotherapy, there are two um, choices that we have. Um, one is a combination uh, called um, uh, MVAC, uh, which is uh, four treatments, uh, and then there is a treatment called gemcitabine uh, with cisplatin. And here at UF Health Cancer Center, um, we uh, prefer to give gemcitabine and cisplatin because it's better tolerated than the MVAC treatment. I would, I would also just like to add to Dr. Ramaram's points that, you know, despite this overwhelming evidence that the neoadjuvant chemotherapy prior to bladder removal surgery is out there, it's been out there for over 13 years now, only about 30 to 40% of appropriate patients nationwide receive that type of therapy. Um, and that can be for a number of reasons, but I, I suspect it may just be from patients not being offered their treatment and being evaluated in multidisciplinary care clinics as we have here. In fact, when we look at our rates of neoadjuvant chemotherapy use at UF HealthShans Hospital, our rates of neoadjuvant chemotherapy per use in select patients is 60 to 80%, depending upon which year we look at. That is so interesting. Dr. Hitchcock, give us an example as we're talking about all of this and putting it together to this multimodal therapy. Give us an example of work you've done together. Um, the most important work that we've done together is what Dr. Crispin described uh, just a moment ago, and that is working toward uh, true trimodality therapy. And even in cases where that's not appropriate, true trimodality assessment of the patient before any major steps in their treatment are done. That's an ongoing process. Um, UF Health Shens Hospital is a big medical center and it takes getting a lot of people on board uh, into a system like that. But we're meeting with a lot of success here and I, I think that other, other facilities, other practitioners um, could get in touch with us if they'd like to hear some tips about how to make that work. Well, I think that is one of the most important points of a podcast like this is for other providers to be able to see this multimodal approach that you are doing there at UF Health Shands Hospital. Dr. Crispin, how do you envision your research translating to patient care? As we start to wrap this up, what would you like other providers to know about the exciting technology and, and changes and advances in bladder cancer and bladder preservation? Well, we do. We, we have a special interest in bladder preservation therapy at UF Health Shands Hospital, and that involves all of our cancer providers, chemotherapy, uh, radiation therapy, and surgical therapy. And with this, we are trying to have every possible clinical trial available to our patients to try to increase the number of patients who can undergo bladder preservation therapy 
and improve the success of patients who are undergoing select types of bladder preservation therapy. I can uh, give you two examples of this. We'll start with the one with trying to improve on our success of trimodal therapy is, is one particular trial where patients will undergo the standard trimodality therapy uh, as, we, as we offer all patients who are appropriate, but then offer them additional therapy after they've completed their radiation to further decrease the chance of the cancer coming back. Another example is in patients who may be going down the path for bladder removal surgery is that we give them chemotherapy with uh, Dr. Ramnarang and, and his partners in medical oncology and then evaluate those patients for specific mutations within their tumor. And then patients with select tumors will then evaluate for, for a complete treatment response. And if they would have a complete treatment response based upon their chemotherapy alone, we would follow them closely and avoid bladder removal surgery altogether in those patients. And so those are just two examples of our current trials, and we'll evaluate other trials in the future to make sure we're doing everything we can to avoid the need to remove, uh, to remove bladders in these patients. Dr. Ramnarine, do you have some final thoughts on bladder cancer and the multimodal approach that you're doing there at UF Health Shands Hospital and what you'd like other providers to know about referral? So I think the most important part about bladder cancer care is that there really should be a multidisciplinary approach towards uh, managing these patients. I think it's really important for a patient to see a urologist like Dr. Crispin, a radiation oncologist like Dr. Hitchcock, and a medical oncologist such as myself in order to make sure that they're getting the appropriate care and that they're being evaluated by all the physicians who may or may not play a role in their care in the future. And here at UF Health Shands Hospital, um, we are planning to start a multidisciplinary clinic where patients um, can come in and in one day see all three of us as opposed to having three separate uh, clinic appointments. So the most important thing is um, that um, it's, uh, it's a teamwork uh, and uh, it takes a team to manage a patient uh, with bladder cancer or any kind of bladder cancer. Well, absolutely it does. And Dr. Hitchcock, last word to you. What would you like other providers to know about this multidisciplinary care and how important it is for their patients that they're referring that you have this ability to work together and that you're doing fascinating clinical trials and really advancing the field of bladder cancer? Well, I guess when I think about the big picture here, I think about my grandparents' generation that included people who went from uh, driving horse-drawn carriages to seeing people in outer space. We're experiencing exactly that kind of surge in technology in the medical world right now, and it would be a real shame for patients not to have access to the best that our modern technology can offer. The best way for that to happen, as we've said, is for all, all of the different physicians on the team to be able to contribute and make their recommendations. And so I would just encourage um, doctors uh, in other places who are thinking about referring patients to really get in touch with the people they're referring to if they um, want to refer their patients for multimodality care, make sure that they are sending them to a facility that practices treatment in this way for bladder cancer. 
Thank you so much, doctors, for joining us today, sharing your incredible expertise and what an exciting time for you to be studying bladder cancer and bladder preservation and this multimodal approach. Thank you again for joining us. This concludes today's episode of UF Health Med EdCast with UF Health Shands Hospital. To learn more about cancer clinical trials available at the UF Health Cancer Center, please visit ufhealth.org navigator. And to learn more about this and other healthcare topics at UF Health Shands Hospital, please visit ufhealth.org slash medmatters to get connected with one of our providers. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and all the other UF Health Shands Hospital podcasts. For more health tips and updates, please follow us on your social channels. Until next time, I'm Melanie Cole.